0: And our thoughts tonight will focus on the second chapter in particular. But let's read from chapter 1. And let's break into the chapter and read from verse 14. This is the sailors crying out to God before casting Jonah into the sea. So chapter 1, verse 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech Thee, O Lord, we beseech Thee. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, as it pleased. they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Let me just pause. You'll notice in the Authorized Version reading there that all these references to the Lord are all cast showing underneath that it. it is really the covenant name Jehovah that these sailors are using they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights then Jonah prayed unto the Lord as God out of the fish's belly and said I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord and he heard me Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardst my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto Thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Linda we'll reading, we trust again the Lord to bless the public reading that is inspired by. Let's do pause again and ask the Lord to grant us grace tonight in looking at this chapter of Jonah's story. Lord, tonight we again give thee thanks. We gather here singing the praises of a God who is worthy, of a God who is faithful to his promises, of a Savior who has come, of a Savior who's coming again. And so we pray that you will give us grace tonight as we, in the midst of our varied pilgrim journeys, read a chapter of the pilgrimage of one who's gone before. So Lord, bless us as we consider Your Word now we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. At this point in the prophecy of Jonah, and we're tearing a little bit in Jonah, for reasons as we've suggested that in these minor prophets, the major prophets for that matter as well, so often the focus is on the corporate body of the Lord's people. Their sinfulness, the chastening that is looming if they will not repent and return in obedience to their God. Their portions of the prophets that are reflections on the heathen nations and what will befall them and warnings that are given to them. But Jonah gives us the opportunity in an extended way to look at a portion of the minor prophets, the prophets in general, that applies to us. It's in some ways, though certainly God's mercy to Nineveh is at the center of the story, uh, but Jonah's the real heart of the story. Jonah's wrestlings with the commission he's given, his wrestlings with the ways of God, and his struggling with what God is calling him to do, and what God is doing in his own age and time, that is perhaps contrary to how Jonah would have done it. Or believed or wished God to have worked in his times. And so, in some ways, while Nineveh is being worked on, if you will, by the Lord, Jonah is being worked on perhaps all the more. And so far in our story, I've tried to pull us back from thinking about this man that got swallowed by a fish. That's the thing we learn, it's what captivates our attention in Sunday school classes as children, and that's all well and good and part of the story, if you will. But we've sought to push that to the background to be thinking more deeply about Jonah's own circumstances, about Jonah's commission, about Jonah's heart in response to that commission, about Jonah's disobedience and the reasons for it, but for all the pulling back, if you will, I've tried to do over the last few weeks, let's not just be thinking about the fish. Well, tonight I want us to think about the fish for a little bit. To think about the actual, tangible circumstances that occurred in the life of Jonah. I mean, this is pretty dramatic stuff. I remember a lot of years ago in preparing for a message on Jonah that I dived into some of the encyclopedias and reports of similar events in history and so forth. We haven't gone there this time. But here is a man. Here's a man that's been hiding away in the bottom of the boat. He's been sleeping while his, I was about to say his captors, not his captors, but the heathen sailors and the captain of the ship have been in fear of their lives and praying to their varied gods. The captain comes and finds Jonah and we've more than once quoted that remarkable line from Hugh Martin, the world rebuking the church. What a place for the church to be found. But now Jonah has been discovered. He has confessed before the sailors all that has transpired. He understands the reason for the storm. He knows what's going on and he just tells them and compels them really to cast him into the sea. And so we think about this man. Picture him looking into a sea that is so tempestuous. Repetition of that phrase in the chapter. "A sea so rough that seasoned sailors are fearful. You picture him as he is cast into the sea. He struggles to stay afloat. He's gasping for every breath. He struggles, something perhaps that we see in the chapter in his prayer. Some think of the perhaps seaweed that is around him, whether that wrapped him up in the waters before he was in the fish, or, well, if the main course got mingled in with the salad, if we could speak so in reference to Jonah's experience. He endured, remarkable as such a small word, unheard of circumstances to be cast into that storm and swallowed by this fish. You think of the natural, emotional that would have been part of all that experience. Well, it is in the midst of, it is as a result of these experiences that we come to the second chapter in this remarkable prayer of a remarkable man for good and for ill. And so tonight I want to come, and I'm going to put a footnote here at the beginning, borrowing heavily from our dear brother Hugh Martin of days gone by. I think argues quite eloquently here for all the different pieces of Jonah's story. We'll come back to those as we enter chapter 3. But in this chapter, in this prayer of Jonah, we have put before us in a very vivid way the struggles between sense, between sight, and faith that are the normal occurrences in the life of every believer. We live with that stuff that we see. We're called upon by faith to look, to see beyond just the sense beyond the circumstance, to rise above the circumstances. And Jonah here stands as a tremendous example for us in both directions. The depths of the circumstances, the the depths of the stuff he saw, and the depths of his faith in gaining victory over that sense and those circumstances to really come afresh to experience the joy of His salvation, to experience renewed communion with this God that He was running from. And so think with me along those lines tonight of the the senses, the eye of sense that Jonah has before him. The circumstances that we've just sought to describe and Very feebly described to be sure. They are real circumstances. It was a real storm. There were genuine dangers. Jonah, But all the other ships in the sea during this storm. The fish itself. How much injury did Jonah receive in the process of being swallowed by the fish? I haven't pursued varied commentators recently or to this part of the story in our current study, but some debate back and forth whether Jonah actually died in the belly of the fish and was brought back to life. There are resurrections. Resuscitations is a word some theologians use for those resurrections of people that were to die again before the resurrection, but that's its own topic. Or whether Jonah was alive through the whole ordeal. I will try and answer all those particulars, but the circumstances themselves are overwhelming. But the second aspect of what the eye of sense has to deal with and reckon with is not merely that these circumstances are there. I mean, when Jonah's standing on the deck of that ship, when he's preparing to be cast into the sea, he understands that the path he's chosen, the sin he has committed and pursued, I mean, you think of all the, the reaffirmations of, yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I'm going to disobey. No, yes, I'm, I'm doing... This. He committed himself to this path... And now as he stands there preparing to be thrown in, is thrown into the tumultuous sea, is swallowed by the fish. The understanding, these circumstances are not merely really here. They're here for a reason. And the reason is, I have been walking in disobedience. The hand of God is what has brought these circumstances against me. Now, we comment often that it's a difficult thing. It is not always a wise thing for us to try and read every circumstance of life that comes along. Because every ill providence is not a result of some particular sin we've committed. Nor is every blessing that we receive from the hand of God an indication of some great good deed that we have done. There are many wicked people that enjoy good providences as you were. There are many godly people whose lives are marked by one continuous time of trial and difficult testing. So again, we have to wrestle with that and be wise in our attempts to see through every circumstance. But here, there's no question. There's no mystery about the circumstance. There's no, well, I'm I'm here because I'm a great prophet. No, God is chastening His prophet pursuing his erring child and so Jonah has I say added to the, the problem added to the difficulty added to the trial added to the trauma of this the certain knowledge that it is the chastening hand of an offended heavenly father that has brought the trauma it is bringing him this trouble And then you have added to that that it's evident in Jonah's prayer. The effect that this has on him is very real. Look in verse 4. He says, Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Look down in verse 7. When my soul fainted within me. So he's already come to the point not merely of enduring the circumstances knowing that it's God's hand that's bringing the circumstances upon him but the impact of that. He's come to a point if you think about him saying that I'm cast out of thy sight hopelessness has come into his heart. He's wrestling with that. He's wrestling beyond hopelessness. He's wrestling with despair. He said my soul fainted. Within me. What a vivid, what a biblical description of despair. This is the eye of sense. This is Jonah looking. This is Jonah accurately interpreting what's happening. And as it begins to bring that result upon his heart of hopelessness and despair. We find remarkably, and remarkably because he is a child of God, because he is a believer, that God graciously brings him through what the eye of sense discerns and gives him grace to use the eye of faith. And you think about the eye of faith intervening in this circumstance. When Jonah comes, as it were, to the bottom, not merely physical stuff that he's endured, but to this point of despair, of withering under the chastening hand of God, of wondering, am I even Yours at all, Lord? To say I'm cast out of Thy sight that's questioning the real root of things. But the root is there. It's a phrase we don't use very often. You see it in some of the older writers. I heard it in some of the preachers that were my mentors along the way. But the phrase, the root of the matter is in Him. You know, we can see people in Christian experience different levels of faithfulness and growth and grace. But there is something about that root of the matter being in a person. Of the new man dwelling there. And Jonah isn't an unregenerate old man. He is a renewed man. He is, though wayward, though disobedient, Though under chastisement, to be sure, he's a new man. And so the eye of sense doesn't finish the story. The eye of faith comes and it prevails. The reality of Jonah's faith is seen in all these circumstances. Because the fact is there That all of these circumstances cannot rob him of understanding the relationship that he has with his God. Jonah's brought to prayer. He's brought to communion with this God that he's sought to abandon, if you will. Remember that sequence in chapter 1 as he goes down from the presence of the Lord. We talked somewhat about The temple and the manifestation, the place that God had chosen to set His name, and uh, the, the symbolism and the reality. Well, Jonah ultimately can't be outside. He can't be cut off from the presence of the Lord. He is before the Lord always. And the very fact that he prays underscores that he understands this reality. And so he cries out under affliction. He cries out. He speaks to this God that ultimately he knows he isn't cut off from. That he's forever connected to. Martin speaks of a child for his disobedience, for all his pulling away, for all of his seeking disconnection from the parent, when the affliction comes, when some need that it is impossible for the child to meet weighs upon them, for all of their running away, they are immediately brought back to the parent in order to meet that need. We as children of a heavenly Father, as believers, I mean, that's not a, an indiscriminate title for Christians, believers. I just underscore what we've said often over the years. Again, faith isn't just something we do. And that's behind us. Faith is that which we're brought to when we're born of the Spirit. And so faith, belief, characterizes us the rest of our days. We are believers. And so the reality of Jonah's faith is seen in that all these circumstances cannot rob him of an understanding that that relationship exists. An affliction draws prayer forth from Him. He recognizes He's the child of the Heavenly Father. As erring as He has been, as clearly, specifically disobedient as He has been, He still belongs to the Lord. And under His chastening, He acknowledges that. And that itself is the eye of faith instead of the eye of sense. He sets before Him, secondly, the truth of God's reconcilableness. He sets before Himself the promise of forgiveness. He sets before Himself by the very definition of prayer, the fact of God's accessibility. He doesn't have to find out where God is, as it were. He just approaches Him in Gospel terms. He prays unto Him out of faith. And His God is there. You come to verse 4, which is really the hinge, if you will, of the chapter. Then said I, I am cast out of thy sight. He's giving testimony of how low He had gone. Of how deep His darkness, as it were, is was. I got to this point. I said, I'm cast out of thy sight. Yet, again, thy holy temple. Come down to verse 7. He mentions the temple again. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. Challenged, Hugh Martin's very terminology as he wrestled here. Jonah descended into a sheer sacramental view of things. I trow not. No, again the temple. Jonah seeking to go away from God's presence. All the instruction. All the vivid gospel light that focused in that place. It's it's all testimony of Christ. And so this turning point in Jonah's understanding, this turning point in Jonah's coming back from the brink of despair to a faithful position of even approaching God in prayer, believing that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, is a Christ-centered focus. God will hear when I come to Him on these terms. And this is exactly what Jonah does. He comes from the brink of despair to Christ-centered faith. He applies the Gospel. He comes to understand something of that motivation we spoke of this morning in Romans 12. The mercy of God. Jonah deserves hell. He's actually used the term in our English Bibles here. Out of the belly of hell cried I. But that's the term, she old, in the Old Testament. We ha- it is the Old Testament term for hell, for the place of eternal punishment. But it's also used at times of the grave. It's used of death in the abstract, and I think it's in those terms that Jonah's using it and praying here. I- I'm at I'm at the point of death. I- well, I'm not seaworthy, worthy. That's not the word I was looking for. But I'm a burial at sea. I'm, I'm in the grave. I'm done for. I cried out to his God. And here I say that turning point is a Christ-centered, Christ-focused faith. You think of the prodigal son. As he has abandoned the father's home as he had squandered his inheritance while the money was flowing, the friends and the parties and everything was all going strong. And he reaches a point where not only the, the sinfulness of his actions, but the, the awfulness of his condition. He fain would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. Pretty embarrassing stuff. It's from that point of shame that he says, I'm going back to the Father. We know some of the gospel parts of that story. He's even amazed. He figured he'd have some reception of the Father, but there's a little legal heart in him that thinks, well, I'll just come on board as a servant. At least I'll have the servant's rations. No. This is a gospel heart here. I say from the brink of despair and hopelessness, he comes to a Christ-centered, Christ-focused faith. He takes God as accessible. He also comes in this new eye of faith. He comes to take up the promise. If you look in verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, the earth with the bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought me or brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. We talk about the Psalms and the prayers that we find in the Psalms so often, where the psalmist is enduring an affliction, some trial, some difficulty. And he prays, and he prays in faith. He prays from the position of the difficulty still resting upon him, and yet trusting God to answer. Well, we might say here Jonah depicts that for us in a quite literal sense. He's still in the fish. From a human perspective, if he's not dead already, (laughs) it's coming. And yet he takes up the promise. Thou hast brought up my life from corruption. Martin had an interesting statement with regard to this. I should have written it down and included it, but he said he knew of no more sublime statement uttered from human lips in Scripture. That's a remarkable testimony, but yet here is a man who is... Covered with the digestive juices of a whale, who's able to pray the prayer of faith, you brought me up. He so reckons upon the promise and the faithfulness of God that before that fish regurgitates him out on the land, he's already there. He's already there in His mind. He's on the verge of despair. And now He's already on that beach before He's there. Something of what we saw in Romans 7. Who shall deliver Me from the body of this death? I thank God. We're not glorified yet. I thank God. There's no question about our glorification. Whom He justified them, He also glorified. There's no question about our ultimate victory in this battle with sin and our pilgrimage. What an example of the eye of faith Jonah is. Thou hast brought me up. But then we see also flowing forth from this eye of faith the close of the prayer. I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Jonah's experience of forgiveness, this faith overcoming sense, faith overcoming what he sees in his circumstances round about him. You think of those sailors. They have had quite an experience themselves. I mean, as we read in that latter part of chapter 1, they throw Jonah into the sea. We don't have a timetable set before us, but it just says simply, they cast him forth into the sea and the sea ceased from a raging. Uh, the, The cessation of the storm is so sudden, it is so remarkable that the fear of God you might say, overwhelms these sailors in a greater way. How does it say, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. The fear of God overwhelmed the fear of the storm. But for all their thought, poor Jonah, he's gone. Well, quite literally, beneath the surface, Something's going on the sailors don't see. We don't know what story they may have ever heard about Nineveh, about some strange prophet, with some strange experiences that showed up there. But what men couldn't see, Jonah sees. Jonah knows. And I say Jonah's experience of forgiveness. What is that phrase we sing often at the table? Some of Bonner's precious words. Taste afresh the calm of sins forgiven. Here's one of those times where it wasn't normal wrestling as it were. Checking sin in the heart and mind before it reaches the outward open commission of some act. Jonah's—he's crossed a lot of barriers in his persistence in this disobedience. Now he sees the hand; he sees the mercy of God in forgiving his sin, and he's overwhelmed. He says, "I will sacrifice unto thee." For the voice of thanksgiving. And again, there's gospel experience. You don't see him saying, Well, Lord, you didn't have to do all that. No, the gospel heart says, What an amazing thing. My sin deserved all that and more. And yet God has mercifully used it for my good. And so he says, I will pay that I have vowed. Jonah's experience of forgiveness compels him into new obedience. Isn't that the Gospel? We don't merit forgiveness by some new course correction, new life change. No, we're granted forgiveness freely for Christ's that compels us to walk in newness of life it is that understanding of forgiveness that compels us to walk in obedience where we have failed to do so before so we have in jonah's prayer a great example of what is a common experience of god's people the struggle between the sense or the sight of sense and the sight of faith. Jonah's faith had a host of obstacles to overcome. And all of it was true. But the gospel is more powerful than the deepest of our sins. And Jonah knew that. Jonah believed that. Jonah reckoned upon that, and God heard him, and God answered. May the Lord bless His Word and our meditations upon it. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, tonight we come, and though we have perhaps not pursued such a tangible path of disobedience as did Jonah, Yet, Lord, which of us cannot marvel at the tenacity of our own sins, So the Apostle describes for us in your Word, that sin that does so easily beset us, and yet, when sin as it were is at its height, the grace of God abounds more. We see Jonah's faith revealed. And we're thankful that by Your Spirit, You've implanted the same believing heart in us. So let us with Gospel hearts, with sense of forgiveness, walk in obedience. Walk joyfully with the Father in Heaven. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.